0: Hey friends, welcome to the Story Forge podcast. I'm Lyle Smith, your host, and I didn't set out to make this a special episode. I really didn't set out to make this a 9-11 anniversary episode either. And in a lot of ways it's not, not entirely. But so much of the story of Megan McDowell and the creation of HeartWorks is intimately wrapped up in what happened that day. 19 years ago tomorrow, 2,977 people were killed in what became known simply as 9-11 when terrorists flew commercial airliners into both of New York City's World Trade Towers in Lower Manhattan's Financial District, one into the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., just across South Washington Boulevard from Arlington National Cemetery, and a fourth was brought down, apparently, by passengers fighting back over tiny, rural Shanksville where the soon to be famous United Airlines Flight 93 crashed into the rich Pennsylvania farmland. 19 years is a long time. We've still never seen anything quite like it. For those of us who witnessed it on television or across the bay, the memory is still vivid. My wife Heather in Manhattan that day rushed toward the site to try to help as the towers came crashing down One of those medical professionals at a nearby hospital, we eventually and tragically found out had very little to do that day. On the other hand, after almost two decades, there are adults here in the United States who have no practical memory of it at all, only stories told by people who witnessed it or were personally touched by it. Megan McDowell is one of those whose family was impacted directly by what happened that day. She'll tell that part of her story here in a few minutes. But I wanted you to understand this thing, this Heartworks thing that she created out of this experience. It's a mission of love, it's a mission of hope, it's a mission of strength and vibrant colors. One that, if there is any justice in the world, will grow into a movement. It inspires hope and healing, pulls gratitude out of grief, and it reminds us that when we remember to pay attention to the people around us in need, when we remember to reach out to them in their times of need, with the things that mean the most to us, when we remember that love can travel inside a pan of homemade lasagna, the world can survive even the darkest days imaginable. This one's a little bit longer than most. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did.
1: many people are back in the house they grew up in it's a it's wild
0: yeah it's a crazy thing isn't it um you know how did that happen how did that that you know because so much of that is wrapped up in uh, your story too I think yeah um, cool yeah so how did uh, how did you you're, you live now in the house where you grew up um, I, I with I your did. own family how did that come about
1: so that came about that I am NOT a good letter-goer so I am a therapist. I talk to people all day long right. about the power of letting go and allowing for new things in your life um, because I do feel, you know, it's so, it's so important to be able to move through life instead of gripping onto the parts of life that we want to stay put right. because we have no control over that. Right. So, you know, it's very Buddhist to to just to have something, to not attach to it, and to be able to release it when its time is up. Right. Um, and I suck at all of that. <laughs> so, very good at teaching it, um, but it is something that I truly have to practice every day. And what hap- how I ended up back in my childhood home was... Um, my father had said years ago, we had probably been in this house since if I'm 51 now, we probably moved here when I was seven. So in the in the mid 70s, we would have moved here and um, late 70s. I think it was maybe 1977 or 76. And my father would always say, I'm never leaving this house. It's the house I raised my children in, I'm in Bernardsville, I'm in, you know, my dream place. It was the high school running capital of the country.
0: The country, yes, that's true. Right?
1: Um, when we were growing up and he was, my father basically said, I'm never le- uh, you, I'll, you'll carry me out of this house. And that's basically what happened. Um, and that ties into another story of Ed Mather and daddy dying within, You know, two days, three days of each other. Right,
2: right.
1: Um, And Mark Wetmore being in this house when he hears about my father. My father, Mark Wetmore, was here the morning my father died.
2: Oh my God!
1: He slept over that night because he was here for Mathers' yep funeral. Yep. So that whole thing, I mean, that was insane. You know, having Mark here, my father's one one of my father's best friend dies. My other best friend flies in for his funeral. Right and my father closes his eyes and passes away while Mark is in the house.
0: It's, yeah, it's all these these weird alignments happen in life sometimes.
1: So the way I moved into the house was that my father had passed away very, very unexpectedly. I was super close to my dad. He was a real um, supply of love for me on the planet. And When he died, my husband and I had two children at that point, and we were living um, a couple of miles away up on um, Mount Airy Road. Mm -hmm. And my father had passed away, and my mother was putting a call out to myself and my three siblings saying, I'm gonna sell the house, I don't need five bedrooms, I'm selling the house, is anybody interested? And the story goes that I am crying on the phone with her, I get (laughs) off. I walk into the family or my husband in our house, a mile and a half away is clicking through TV channels. And I go, my mom's selling the house. And he goes, yeah. And I go, well, we have to buy it. <laughs> we have a house. And I said, there is no way I'm gonna be able to drive past my house, my hmm. house, every day and see other people's cars in the driveway. What if I get invited over for a play date back at 37 Old Army Road? Right. I'm not going to be able to handle it. We have to move. And without skipping a beat, my husband said, okay, because he knew that his life was going to be way easier having us live back at Old Army Road. Right. So, yeah, so we moved back in. I changed things around. But, you know, as much as I joke about being a bad letter goer, um, nice. I'm also a deep feeler. And I think that part of the times when you're a deep feeler, things are allowed to be held on that are important to us and right. so this was one of those things that i i said to god the next day look if i have to let go of the house i can do that i've let go of harder things <laughs> um, i can do this and if it's in my highest good please help this work out right and then the next day i kind of i prayed all night about it and the next day somebody literally knocked on my door And said, I heard through word of mouth you're putting your house on the market. Mm -hmm. I had told like three people. Right. um, This guy walked up and said, I heard through word of mouth you were going to put your house on the market and move to your parents' house. I'd love to buy your house. Wow. So it happened really within a matter of 24 hours. um, That it was a pretty clear signal to buy the house and. And I love it as much as I've, you know, I've lived in Colorado, I've lived in Massachusetts, I've, I've lived different places. This is always home to me. Runnersville right. home and this house is home. So it's certainly not for everyone to move back into their childhood home. <laughs> but for me, you know, and you know, Lyle, and we'll talk about that, the pie run, and when my friends come back here and runners come back into town, right. and to be, to be back in someone's childhood town and back in their home right that you were in with 12 13 17 years old there's a there's a power to that
0: right absolutely I mean you, you say the, the Buddhist um, uh, tradition of letting things go and, and when, when it's their time but there's also we, we also have these sort of touchstones in our life right. that are that are things we remember that are important that, that recenter us in those in those places that are important to us that we may not even recognize at the moment. Um, You know, and that can be a place, uh, that can be a building, like your home, Uh, it can be, I think of your house, it's really funny because we used to joke when we were running all the time, we'd come down the hill and across uh, Old Army Road onto (laughs) Olcott, and because it was that wacky little intersection and joke we'd be you know when when it came to be our time to go that's where it was going to happen because we'd be running so hard and focusing on what we were doing we wouldn't see the car coming across matter taking
1: out at the intersection right
0: (laughs) (laughs) but those are the things you know and i still think about those things uh even though i live a thousand miles away and, and and have not been to bernersville in quite some time uh but when i do yeah um you know i feel very much at home even even though i don't you know i have some friends who still live there uh but i don't really i don't have any family there anymore and i don't have any place to you know to stay that's mine but um it's 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 a touchstone place you know it's one of those one of those spots and i feel like i i I, that's that's how i feel when i do come for the Pyron and we end up back at your house uh having you know it feels like-,
1: like everybody's home that day that's that's what's giving for me to look around and see oh, i'm gonna cry to look around <laughs> this room and see those faces faces that i've been looking at since i've been seven right you know when my brother's got his little group of pete carroll and him hanging out right. in one corner and we're in another and people that knew my father and know the history of this town and our childhood it's right. um there's really something to that and it's healing and it's beautiful and I'm grateful for it.
0: Well, and I I think there's, there's a rarity to it. Not every, not everybody uh, grows up with that sort of, and it's, it's a multi, like you mentioned your brother and, and, and we were all runners and we all had these common experiences, but you know, um, I don't know your brother terribly well. You know, sure, well old, he was a he's lot, older than, he was a older,
2: lot than older than us, yeah. But,
0: but I can talk to him about anything, any given time, mm-hmm. and it, it feels like we're related. You know, that's right. Felt, even though he and I are not. Yep. Um, and that, I don't think that's um, a, a lot of people don't have that, I think. Yep, You know, it's really kind of a nice thing to have. Very you know,
1: there's something on my wall that I wanted to read to you, and, and this is right on the wall in the room where the Pyron food goes out. And it says, our house has a heart and a soul and eyes to see us with, and approvals and solitudes and deep sympathies. It is of us, and we are in its confidence, and we live in its grace and in the peace of its benediction. We cannot enter it unmoved. And that's by Mark Twain. And that, you know, when I moved back into the house, I was really into quotes still really into quotes and i was looking for a quote to put up on the house and i didn't want something that was kind of bullshitty or or you know oh everything was always perfect in this house and in this town and my childhood was perfect i had no interest in that because it's not true for any of us um but there is something about this quote that that just says you cannot enter it unmoved whether that's your childhood home or your town um or when you when you bump into somebody from your past right um regardless of what your experience was during that phase of your life you're moved right you know right and
0: it's important i've always i've always thought that there are places on this earth where where the the veil between right. worlds is very thin that's right you know um yeah. and it's you can't explain it you just feel it you know And, you know, so you say that to some people, they're going to think you're out of your mind and you say that to other people and they're going to be like, oh no, I feel it too. And you talk about, you know, alignments and how, how you're purchasing your childhood home happened. And, you know, how do you explain that? You don't, it just happened, you know, and it was, it was, yeah, maybe, maybe you can call it luck. Maybe you can call it something else. Uh, You know, good fortune, whatever but it's uh it's those those you know there are there are places and there are moments where that that veil is very very thin yeah. and it's uh i i think about that a lot especially when i go to visit you know home in physics they talk about space time
2: mm.
0: how space and time are the same thing and that's that's really what it is in my mind anyway is how you know when you when your memory hits in a in a place where you're standing at say the polo grounds where we used to run cross country and i have a very vivid memory of a specific day uh and a specific temperature or a specific rainstorm or whatever it happens to be um and that brings you almost right back to that moment viscerally early space and time and physically yeah so that's it's kind of interesting you know i think that's fun to think about anyway and i love the quote by the way
1: quotes are interesting because <laughs> if somebody on my board of my nonprofit was sitting here with me right now they would be laughing because and this is a strange thing to say lyle but i don't for the most part i'm i'm a little looser on it now but for years i didn't allow other people's quotes on the Heartworks Facebook page and in our writings and right. in our relationships with people, mm-hmm. because I feel that I grew up with a father who was a lover of words and a lover mm-hmm. of phrases and, and quotes. And, you know, again, back to the running community at Bernard's High, Mather was huge on quotes, Wetmore was huge on quotes. But I felt that our culture got really nose blind to quotes with right. Facebook. Yeah. Um, so people, you know, I didn't like to be sitting with my friends and they just scroll past a Mother Teresa quote. I'm like, wait right. a minute, wait a minute, did you just scroll past <laughs> a quote by Mother Teresa? So quotes started to become things that were being worn on t shirts and on signs right. and people had them up in their house. So I did I did get to a point with Heartworks that I felt we were going nose blind to quotes. And the more um, original we could be, and there was certainly enough going on with this nonprofit that we kind of had our own quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, so that part, I'm psyched when I see quotes on a T-shirt. Yeah. I also, think because of social media, there's so much that we miss. Yep. Because our mind just goes to the idea of oh, there's a quote, but it's like when your mind goes to a, to the thought of there's a quote, actually read the quote, right? And then. Feel what it instills in you. What does it invoke in you? Right. Operate from that standpoint, but I think as a culture we've moved away from those other steps. Right. And we just write it off as a quote. So.
0: Right, and I think I think I think it makes a strong point. Um, you know, that said, the quote you just read for me off your wall is it's it's longer than usual. Mm-hmm. It's longer than would fit affi- than would affix itself to a t-shirt, and it's it's one that you don't it's It's not cliche, it's not one that's that you hear over and over again, like the work I do, I'll start with a quote, and the quote may not survive the work, but it gets you anchored mm-hmm. into what you're talking about. That's right, and that's helpful uh, so you you started talking about heart work, so how are all the hearts working up in your orbit these days
1: So um you know there's a lot going on there's a lot uh, our mission is to help um, to assist and help and send love to people that are within their first 14 months of grief or illness Mm -hmm. so this can be it can be a diagnosis it can be a car accident it can be trauma it can be somebody's house burning down really kind of an unexpected acute crisis um, happening in somebody's family is who we is who we reach out to And the, the background of that is that my brother-in-law, John, who also Mm -hmm. grew up with us, but was way older than, than you and I, um, my brother-in-law, John Farrell was killed on September 11th. Mm -hmm. My sister and he had dated since sophomore year at Bernard's high, um, really each other's only loves. Uh, they had four children and they lived in the town over and John was killed at 41 while working in um, the South Tower on September 11th. And so the foundation started from the response, my experience, with the wave of love that came to my family that sustained us that first year,
2: right.
1: and when I started to get my feet back on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be reaching out to so many losses that happen every single day to people that are just not in the news. Right. You know Our family loss was very, very public,
2: right.
1: Very public. Um, you couldn't turn the news on that first year without seeing something about 9 11, and my heart and my mind went to so many people that were suffering um, quietly. right. With a diagnosis or a trauma that did not have a huge group of support around them right didn't have the financial support coming in that my sister had um, maybe didn't have the emotional support or the attention mm-hmm. um, that being seen mm-hmm. idea of when you're when you're suffering sometimes just being acknowledged and being seen by another human being right helps you right and so heartworks really started from the pull in me to offer other people what had been offered to my family
0: that's that's really kind of fascinating to me because you know when i when I first read about you starting artworks and started to start understanding what you were doing i I got it and i didn't quite get it you know because I'm like oh, well, I, what is this idea this you know and this whole yeah. you know uh, you know grief, gratitude kind of dichotomy, uh, yeah. was, was it's, it's, it's powerful and it's interesting, mm-hmm. um, but without having gone through it. And of course, after 9-11, we, all of us, you, you guys and, and people who felt it personally, mm-hmm. experienced it personally to one level, but, but all of us around the yeah. country felt it at a different level. You know, yeah. and, and as you say, it was in the news, it's still in the news. It's like the only thing, you know, it's, it,
2: you,
0: there are certain things in history that, you, that, that go by one name or one, you know, 9-11, you don't have to say the year, you don't have to say the city, you don't have to say anything, you know what it is. Pearl Harbor was like that.
1: The morning of 9-11, when uh, I was living in Colorado with my husband and one daughter at the time, I was pregnant um, with my second, Mm I, my brother, John, I I was actually getting on a plane to come home, um, for my younger sister, Jennifer's 30th birthday party. So my daughter, Madison, who was two and I were, were, I was feeding her breakfast and we were going to get on the plane to come back to New Jersey to surprise my sister for her 30th.
2: Um,
1: and my brother, John called me from Chicago and said, do you have the TV on? I said no. I put the TV on. I said, "What is this?" And he said, "It's John's. That's John's building." My brother and my brother-in-law are both Johns. Right. So my brother John said, "That's John's building." And a sense came over me, though I didn't understand any of us, any of it, because none of us did. This was like fifteen minutes into it. You know, no one, no one understood anything. Um, I did have an understanding that life, as I knew it was over right and it was just a visceral feeling deep in my soul that what I had come accustomed to being my life was done right and I um I got myself up the staircase I kind of crawled up this big staircase we had in our house and Eddie was sitting my husband Eddie was sitting at his desk and I I said come downstairs and he came downstairs and the and my first question to him was I said what what is this? What, what would you compare this to? And he's the only thing he could think of was Pearl Harbor. Right. You know, that, that was his, um, that was his response in the moment. But, um, talk to me, I would like to know what your, what that is for you about the grief and the gratitude. What was, what pulled you into those, those ideas?
0: Well, I mean, cause, uh, g- gratitude, you know, it's funny because I I mentioned I talked to Peggy as my first interview yeah. in the whole project that I was doing, and uh, she talks about gratitude a lot.
2: And, yes, she uh, does.
0: And that is a, you know, and, you know, growing up, you know, it's a word. It's a word that you know, that, you know, it has a word. It has a definition. It has, you know, starts with G. It has X number of letters. Uh, but... It it's over time. It has become a thing. It has become a, a practice of gratitude. Yeah. So you sort of understand it in terms of okay, you you have to actively um, invite it into your being. Yes. To see the benefit of it, right? So that's that's where I started to understand it, at least in, in recent times. You know, maybe the it's
1: last not time. something that just floats past you, and affects you. Right. You know, it's something that you have to conjure up sometimes. Mm-hmm and and put effort into focus on my goal in this moment is to be grateful right and it's something, right. It, it, it's something that you have to um you know it's work it's it's work right. and it's an intentional work right say i am you know peggy is someone who who is found through her fiance and her father Dying very close together in her early 20s, she is someone that um, found a found gratitude in a cup of hazelnut coffee
2: right, right. And,
1: and she now has a whole practice and a whole um, a whole way of helping people through right. that idea of gratitude for the cup of coffee in your hand
0: right and it's and it's so tied to this concept of grief and uh, you know it's just fortunate that the alliteration works but yeah. um, but grief because like we lost my dad. Uh, yes. It'll be two years in October.
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, you know, I, I've, I've lost people in my family for, for whatever reasons and grandparents and what have you. And, and there's a certain amount of grief that comes with that. But you don't feel it at that depth until it's somebody like, you know, a parent or uh, a child or, or somebody really, really close to you. And so, you know, again, it's grief, it's just a word until you feel what it really it's means. your
2: word, yeah. Yep.
0: Um, but then you start thinking about gratitude and say, okay, it's not just, you know, there, uh, there, I, am, I am tremendously grateful that I had my dad in my life as long as I did. I'm tremendously That's grateful for everything he's taught me, everything I've learned from him, uh, every opportunity he's given me, which again is tied intimately with every opportunity that I got to be part of the running community in Bernersville, for example, which ties intimately to your dad and Mark Wetmore and Ed Mather and all the craziness that happened around all of that, uh, time in my life. Um, but those are things that, so, so it ties to, um, again, it ties to time and memory and, 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 and the way you look at, um, what you value
1: all of it for me is a part of being alive and what i see so much i'm a i'm a therapist i have a small private practice and i run these women's retreats so Mm -hmm. so grief is a constant theme in in my life and you know i i often say to people life doesn't work with just the aspects that you enjoy that's not that's not how it unfolds. Wouldn't it be great if we had more control and we could say, I want this experience, I don't want that experience? That would be too painful. Right. It's not the way that it works. Right. So for me, the only way to survive it um, is to ride it out, do the best I can when grief shows up, mm-hmm. and reach out to other people for support. And, and right. that was the thing about after 9 11 when, when John was killed at 41. Right in a terrorist attack. I, I mean, I had never, the term terrorist attack had never come out of my mouth no. at that point. This insane situation had happened that, you know, John Farrell is somehow now being talked about on the Today Show Right. because of, because of being killed on a Tuesday morning in New York City. Right. And it was so disorienting, because grief is so disorienting you yeah. want to talk about this intersection and the intersection you're talking about is <laughs> is is one house over from my house right <laughs> right so this goes into another my Amy Michaelowski, who we both right. grew up with um, one of my best soul sister friends um, Amy's son Charlie I'm his godmother and um, about maybe nine years ago now, Charlie was diagnosed with um, a, a very, very rare brain tumor. Oh my God. Came out of the blue, um, and he gets diagnosed with this brain tumor. Now, I have walked up Alcott Avenue, which is two houses over from my house, mm-hmm. thousands of times. Mm-hmm. To go to high school every day, to walk into town, I've been on this mm-hmm. road thousands of times. The, the intersection that you're referring to, I've been at thousands of times in my life. Mm-hmm. And I was walking back from a meeting for our, the church that we grew up going to, Lyle and I, and I'm walking up Olcott from a woman's house right. the day after Charlie gets diagnosed with this brain tumor. And I come up to the intersection of Olcott and Old Army Road, right. and I cannot figure out which way to turn to get to my house. I was so disoriented, and so that veil had been so lifted of yeah. security. Right. Um, I was so disoriented, Lyle, that I had to stand at that intersection that I had been at thousands of times. And I, and I had to look in all three directions mm-hmm. to figure out which way to get home. And I'll never forget that, because I think about that when I'm sitting with people in grief, it is so disorienting. Yep. Um, and you know the feeling when a, when a parent crosses over, Right was a parent that that had never you had never been on the planet a day without them right because they were here before you absolutely so that when they leave before you, it is so disorienting and it and it takes a while to get back in your body and to orient yourself to remaining on the planet right without this person
2: right um,
1: and so that's that's what I think about so much about the power of all the things that you're talking about. When people are in grief, um, we need each other. We need to be more aware of the people that are grieving around us. Right. Um, and the grief can be the loss of life, but the cr- grief can also be a loss of lifestyle. And when somebody gets sick, you're in deep fear and deep grief that things are different than they were. Absolutely. And so much of my foundation, Heartworks, is about just being present for each other. Right during that so How current. did
0: how did that come about then because we're we're talking about this 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 deeply personal experience of mm-hmm. of your uh, brother-in-law
2: mm-hmm. on
0: 9/11 and uh, your sister and calling from around the country what's going on what is what do you, what does what not understanding what is, what you're watching on TV yeah to fast forward to okay heartworks is is a real thing that's up and running and and helping people how do you get from the one to the other
1: so the way that I got from the one to the other, um, Lyle, is really moving through my heart, like mm-hmm. really allowing myself, you know, I'm a feeler, I experience the world, I'm a deep thinker, Right. but more so I feel everything. Right. When I'm in a, you know, when I'm in a crowd of people, I'm a little hard to be with because I'm, I'm feeling the experiences of the people around me. Sure. And sometimes, you know, if I'm at a concert, I have to kind of quiet that other stuff down to even focus on the music. Right. You know, and so because I experience life through my feelings, when 9 11 happened, Um, I clearly, I felt it very deeply for my sister, for her four children. We were in kind of this impossibly shocking situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I come from a very enmeshed Irish Catholic family. So when something happens to one of us, it happens to all of us. So we, we were all kind of, um, right on top of my sister during all of this. And you know, the other thing that happens with grief is that everyone around you was grieving for different reasons my my parents were grieving john's parents were grieving john's siblings were, were grieving
2: mm-hmm.
1: world was grieving and one of the things that is so unique and interesting about 9 11 was that we were grieving and lost on the inside right but the outside matched our experience so the world had stopped
2: right right
1: and You know, we, there was a story of one night I sat down with Marianne's four children. Um, They ranged from the age of three to 13. Okay. And uh, I said, hey, let's all sit down and watch the Yankees tonight. Right. It's as a way to distract their minds. And we sat down on the couch and the Yankees weren't playing. Yeah. So one of them looks at me, I, I think it was, was Caitlin and says, so are the Yankees not playing tonight because daddy died? I said, yes, sweetheart, the Yankees aren't playing because daddy died.
2: Yeah.
1: And most people don't have that experience of the no. outside matching their insides. And I, and I know you know this from your dad. The day my right. father died, the mailman came up and was delivering mail. And I, and right. I was like, the mail is being delivered today?
2: Right. Like, right.
1: The earth has shifted for me, right. and yet the mail is being delivered. So I, I very, um, you know, I had been a therapist for many years out in Boulder, Colorado. Again, I was a feeler. So for me, I was experiencing my own grief, but I was also acutely aware of people's reactions to us right? and how much the love coded the experience that okay. nobody could change what had happened. Right, but the love that was coming at us with the lasagnas and the baked goods <laughs> and the donations and the picking Caitlin up to go to soccer practice, right. um, the orthodontist calling and the dentist calling, saying, to the are the kids' teeth okay?" Like, right. no matter what your talent was or your profession, you were reaching out to my sister to say, "How can I help you?" And so, Heartworks was born of that experience of me being on my knees my whole family being on our knees and really really understanding that god the invisible the support of the universe was showing up through people bringing a lasagna to us right so i i had this acute experience of god showing up through other people right and then also the power of just person to person connection right and how that literally saved my sister saved her children saved my parents saved john's family Mm -hmm. Um, and something lyle just switched in me that said i can never go a day without paying this forward i do something every single day to pay forward what was done for my family right and when i kind of made this commitment i said why would i just do this by myself i should pull other people into this." right um and so i had this idea we had just moved back to this was a year or two after nine eleven. we had moved back to bernardsville new jersey from colorado
2: uh-huh.
1: my husband was raised in gladstone also grew up with us right eddie um he grew up in the town over and so when we moved back to bernardsville um i was kind of floundering to find friends and to kind of reintegrate myself into my childhood town right um i don't do that well on the surface lyle i'm not (laughs) i cry but i I, it's a struggle for me right Um, my father was very depthful i i tend to go for the jugular in the depth because that's where i feel (laughs) most connected and most alive with people yep um though i do love my wine and my cheese and crackers and my girl talk Right. So I said, what if I combine that? What if I start this group of women uh-huh. and we get together and we have wine and appetizers and some social time? And then what if we get into it? Everybody knows somebody who's suffering. And again, you know, it was so easy to give after 9-11 because it was so overt and the need was so overt. right? And the, the families that were affected were so on their knees so instantaneously that nobody even said no. Right. No nobody nobody had the will or the energy to say no. <laughs> so by these widows and these families that were struggling saying yes, 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 right. Come in and help me. Right. I am humbled. I am on my knees. I need our town. Right. That opened up a gateway
2: mm-hmm.
1: for people to give. And then both were shifted right the receivers were gifted right and the givers were gifted right and so it was this cycle that I became aware of, of oh that's what the world needs that's so healing why would we stop this right and so I started to gather women together to just say who do you know who's dealing with grief and illness who do you know that was You know just in a car accident or their house burnt down and i know that that sounds kind of negative um but it's not negative it's life
0: no it's just part of it's part of living in 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 our world and and those people uh i mean we all need a hand uh uh or a a pat on the back or just a hey how do you do from time to time yeah And, and i think you've 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 tapped into something that's really um, important. I think it's really helpful. You know what you just said made made me think. Is my son Aiden is ten, mm. and he um and it, it just so what you just said made me think uh, of something that makes me really proud about him. Mm-hmm. In that Christmas time, birthdays, whatever. He sure he's ten. He loves to get a gift, but I think he loves more than anything. The feeling he gets when he gives somebody a gift, when he when he you know when he took the time to pick something out, and it's not to be um, you know congratulated for picking out such a great gift or anything like that. It's um, you know that it just makes him feel good to give something to somebody else. And um, what you just said made me think, wow, that makes me really proud because it's it's because um, that's what it's you know that's why you give gifts in the first place. You don't give gifts because you like getting gifts. You give gifts because they're needed or they're, you know, appreciated or their people are grateful for them to use that word again. Um, and I think you've tapped into something really sort of primal. Uh, it's a primal, it's a primal need. Well,
1: and I think it's, it's a primal need that is offered to us as human beings mm-hmm. to help us connect. Right. That if, that if we didn't have that primal, um, experience of loss, right. It would take away from the connection. So one of the things that happened so brilliantly in the universal flow after nine 11 was everybody was on their ass at the same time. Right. Everybody was struggling in our country with some form of nine 11, some hue of it. Right. Um, all together. So there was a commonality that let us experience each other in completely different ways. So right. the neighbor that maybe annoys you and you have political differences with <laughs> and gets under your skin, right. that didn't matter on no. September 12th of 2001. No. And so what HeartWorks was about was why would we lose this?
0: Yeah, it was like a reset.
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna it, it was a reset mm-hmm. and I'm gonna pick up on this momentum and start pulling these women in yeah. To something that on an ordinary day probably wouldn't have worked. Right. Um, and I think what's fascinating is COVID is the only thing that has happened since nine eleven that has had a similar effect. Right. I mean, I know things are getting a little wonky right now, but <laughs> but for the most part, you know, when you're in the grocery store now and, and certainly back in March and April. Right. And You see someone and you say, how are you? Right and they start to cry and you start to cry and you just shake your head as in right. to say i understand we are we are seeing each other more now right. than we have in a really long time and and one of the interesting things about heartworks is it's apparent to me now that we never lost that there is a feeling when you walk into a heartworks meeting you know we have meetings every month for women 70 80 90 women show up at these meetings i always have um different organizations and churches calling me saying how do you get these crowds um and i think the reason why we get the crowds and we get the attention and we get um the participation in heartworks is because it comes from such a pure place there's no there's no ego involved in anything that we're doing um and it's being overt about the human hurts that we all operate from. And it, it gives, you know, Heartworks and different foundations give people a place to come once their life has been shifted, like right. grief or trauma or crisis. Um, because you can't go back to the way you understood life before. No. Once, once you feel loss, you have an understanding of the universe and life and the expansion of things in a way you didn't have before. And, um, I'm a big encourager for people that when something really, really hard happens instead of trying to force the life that you had before, which is never going to work, instead of trying to force that back, be open to this new expansion. Your heart has been cracked open. It has been broken be in that to the best you can and get support in doing that right. But whatever comes in new do your best to live that even though it's not what you want and it's not what you thought you were going to have right you miss things if you um try to close that heart back up
0: right no i think you're right um so how two things in in my mind right now what how does someone become a heart worker? hmm <laughs> and where do you learn about the people who need this
1: mm-hmm. um, help so we are located in Basking Ridge New Jersey we mm-hmm. have an office space um, so if you are local and want to become a heart worker um, you can start. I mean, now with COVID, it's a little wonky. We're going to start doing out. We did some Zoom meetings um, over COVID and we're going to do some outdoor meetings mm. come in the fall. We haven't quite figured out winter yet, yep. but you can come once a month. Um, again, 70, 80, 90 women show up at these meetings. We're praying for people. There are there is a huge table out with maybe 20 families that we have become aware of that Mm -hmm. need assistance in their first 14 months of grief and illness. Um, and you, we have figured out how to help them just in terms of, I have a advisory council that meets every other week. And if a new family referral comes in, we say, if I was that family, what would I be needing right now? Oh, they have, a second grader and a fourth grader and their father is sick I know when my kid was in second and fourth grade I could never organize myself to get those damn snacks in every day right so let's make a bag of snacks for them right so the mother doesn't have to think about that right. or oh their child's on this soccer team well let's get in touch with somebody on that soccer team and see if they can um, provide rides from them, right. for them um, let's see if they need help with their dog. Do they need somebody to go over and walk their dog while they're at treatments? What is it that they need? And we get very direct and very personal. So, if you are local, you can come to our meetings and you can come by our our, our office space, which we call the heartworks house. If you are not local, follow us on social media. We're always presenting families that um, are requesting prayers. We're always um you know, we, get, we don't advertise, advertise is a weird word, but I'm going to use it. We don't advertise too much what we do for families because we never want it to become a Facebook show. Right. Um, we want to keep the sacredness of the giving right. um, kind of close to our hearts and not too out there in Facebook right. land. Yeah. Um, but with that said, you can certainly learn things about us from Facebook. And, and your, your question, Lyle, of how do you become a heart worker? our goal is to have everybody just be a heart worker, work from your heart, work from your heart. So you're in Florida. We have a list of a hundred things to do for people on our website. You can go to our website and find a list of a hundred things that if somebody on your son's soccer team gets a diagnosis in their house, here's a hundred things that you could do for them. And so we're not interested in really keeping this just local. We want people, coming onto our Facebook page, being inspired to step out of our own stuff and give to other people. And while right. you're giving, call to mind, You know, I'm gonna use you as an example. If somebody on, your son's name is Aiden? Aiden, yes. So if somebody on Aiden's soccer team, his father gets diagnosed with something yeah. and they're looking for meals, instead of just unconsciously making a lasagna, make your father's favorite meal right talk to aiden about your dad while you're making the meal right and then you bring that meal to that family
2: Right.
1: because then your heart has been expanded right and the person receiving's heart has been expanded so that's what we call in heartworks um conscious giving Mm -hmm. so people can certainly follow us on social media to learn more about conscious giving and then to learn about the families that we're helping, you can either just call the Heartworks House, right? Um, or send us an email and say that you're looking to send something or to help somebody. Right. Um, and again, we help maybe I don't even know what the number is, but we help anywhere from 18 to 30 families a month. Right. With wow. simple kindness.
0: That's fantastic. So with um, it's 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 funny you mentioned earlier. Uh, being sort of a deep thinker, and, and while enjoying, you know, uh, your, your girl time and girl talk, uh, you, what's <laughs> the phrase you use? going for the jugular uh, about things. And it's funny, I remember your dad. Um,
1: he went for the jugular always, right?
0: Always, and, but, but joyfully. I must have been nine or 10 years old when I, when I first met your dad. And I cannot think of a single time I did not, uh, that I had a conversation with your dad that was not important in some, Mm. you know, I don't think he, he didn't, he didn't mess around with a lot of small talk and there are still things I remember that he told me, um, and I did not grow up in the same house with him, but there are still things that he told me that I think about if not every day, almost every day, you know, uh, just ways of thinking, you know, um, I, and even things that I pass on to other people, somebody, I had friends who were, um, having their kids, uh, do college visits, right. Yeah. Uh, And trying to figure out what college they want to go to. And I remember, and I told this to a couple of different people and I use it often. And he, he, I remember him telling me while I, when I was looking for colleges, um, when you go to visit, make sure you go to visit, don't go to visit in like May in the sunny. Time of the year. Make sure you go. You're going to laugh at this. Make sure you go in like March when it's raining. That's right. uh, And slushy all over the place. Because if you love it then, you're going to love it on the sunny day.
1: And so that's that's kind of going for the jugular on college visits. That the ego is going to be very swept into my father would say, you know, the pretty girl that you see walking past you or um, (laughs) everybody being out on the quad and and the ego and the mind is going to start playing tricks on you. But if you go when it's raining, yeah, you're going to be able to be more in touch with your actual um, kind of soulful response to the school. right? Because you're not going to be distracted by all the shiny objects.
0: Right, right. Exactly right. But I remember having conversations like that Uh, With him about all kinds of different things Um, uh, And from you know, college choices to uh, training methods um, that I still have that I use all the time and uh, You know and I see some of the things you post uh, Often will refer to your dad and things he's told you and and that you remember that you take with you how much of that Cause I, I, it's funny just talking to you about all of this. I, I, I hear your dad talking to me too. So, uh, you know, how much do you, how much of that are you aware of?
1: You know, it's an interesting thing, Lyle, because it's something that I'm actually personally, um, exploring right now is mm-hmm. that my father's voice, you know, he's been gone now a long time. How long has he been gone? 14, 14 15 years, maybe. Yeah. Um, and and what I'm trying to navigate in my own spiritual journey right now is having my own voice. Right. Because his voice is so prominent in my head um, <laughs> that it is a challenge for me. You know, I wanna say even at 51, but the more I talk to adults, we're always struggling with this about yeah. what's our own voice versus the adults that we were around growing up. Right. And making those choices, kind of having that freedom of age and wisdom to be able to see things our own way but my my father had such a profound effect on the way that I viewed the world because our parents do right you know how how much of our views are actually our views versus what's been handed down genera- generationally right um and i'm um a lot of what i talk about with heartworks um stems from my father's ideas it stems from i had a um she was a medicine woman, a very deeply spiritual medicine woman that I met in my 20s in Telluride, Colorado, Patty, um, who taught me a lot of things about um, spirituality and the invisible and way we're all operating on the planet and our no. egos. Um, and, you know, depthfulness for my father was a way of life. Mm-hmm. I, I I have tried to explain him to people, and I would say the only time that he was kind of relaxed and easy and flowing was at cross-country meets.
2: Right.
1: You know, if he was gonna talk small talk at all, it was gonna be at a cross-country or a track meet.
2: Right.
1: Um, but even that wasn't casual conversation. Even no. that was, was, was depthful.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so I think, Lyle, if we're being honest about this question, it has come back a bit to, to um, crush me in terms of sometimes I can only see things from a depthful perspective. Right. And sometimes I need practice just being on the surface. But the surface feels very floundery to me. Right. Um, you know, we would my husband and I will be pulling up to a party and he'd say, you know, it's, it's just a Friday night and people are out for drinks tonight. Right. So let's like not talk about the Holocaust.
2: Right. And I'll,
1: wow. Oh yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Such a good reminder. You know, <laughs> and I'm kind of like, but what are we gonna talk about? It's gonna be so boring, you know. Because I, you know, I live in a town where people like to talk a lot about how their kids are doing in sports and what colleges they're going to and right. what car just came on the market and that stuff, um, I'm a therapist. I, I see how that stuff does not feed people's souls right and see how by by striving for for so much materialism or titles or names of things um it actually increases everybody's suffering
2: right right um
1: so that's interesting so i'm kind of grappling with that right now of of balancing out my father's voice my voice Mm -hmm. um all of that
0: i don't know whether it's the irishness or or, or what? There's, there's something that uh, I, I've never cared much for small talk myself, and I think uh, a lot of that comes from the influence of, yeah, of course, my family and uh, and but all the people I grew up with because that, again, that that group of, of of runners, and it's not just the runners; it's the people surrounding the runners, yes. um, and coaches, and friends of the program, and my Mountain Road Department, and all that. Um, we spent an awful lot of time together uh, and talked about an awful lot of things out on the road and, 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 uh, in a certain amount of, (laughs) you know, physical discomfort from exercise. And, uh, you know, you don't do a lot of small talk when you're, you know, coming up.
1: That's a brilliant point.
0: And a lot of us are kind of like that. And, you know, and there's plenty of small talk to go around too, but it's, um, You know, so uh, what I guess what I'm getting at is don't lose that either (laughs) because it's really important, I think.
1: Well, and I think, you know, you bring up that that fascinating point of the correlation and the proximity of pain and depth. that when you're on a 20 mile run, you know, and let's let's remember, Lyle, I was never a runner. I was a swimmer. So I, I was never an actual runner, but I had this close proximity. Right to the running community and to what was happening at Bernards High School within this small circle of athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is something about sports that forces people into a level of pain and Mm -hmm. a level of discomfort Mm -hmm. that you would not normally welcome. You're not going to, you know, you're not standing in your kitchen saying, oh, I think I'm going to put my hand on that hot burner. See what the pain feels like right yet when you're out on a 20 mile run on a sunday morning right you know what you're in for and you voluntarily go into that space right and so i think that you're right i think that back to this idea of of um pain and discomfort being a space that opens us as human beings there is something about running up a hill and being uncomfortable and, and the other people around you sharing in that discomfort and then you're pulling each other up that hill. Right. You know, you're you're in alignment with pain. Right. Physical, physical and mental. And I think that there is something to that. And that's where, you know, for me, the small talk, I just always feel like I'm floundering. Like right. like, like, what are we doing? Like, right. we're gonna spend six minutes talking about this oh. okay and then i have to reorient myself
0: well this this for me this goes this goes back to the quote on your wall there too it was um you get moved by things right, That's right. and it's the same um uh, in anything you do in order to get better at something uh whether it's an athletic pursuit or uh, you're writing something, or you're doing your math homework, or whatever it is. In order to get better at something, you have to test yourself. Yeah. And then repair, and then test yourself better next time. Right. Being moved is one of those things too. So we, you, you see things, and some things hurt. Some things are, you know, cause grief, cause pain. But those are also the things that make you human. They make you better yes. because you understand what it was and you can respond to it, I think, right? And they,
1: they open you so that you can be less afraid, you can be less afraid the next time you're in it. Um, right. Because if you stay open to a grief, to the best of your ability, and it, and nice. it sucks and it's hard, and, but to stay open to it, I, people come to me all the time and they say, Megan, what can I do to fix this? And COVID was a perfect example of this. You you can't fix this. There's nothing to fix. No. no. All you can do is take a deep breath, open yourself up, and be the most alert you can in this moment to right. what is instead of how you want it to be. Right. Um, and you know, as a therapist and as a person that reads all the books and talks about this stuff all the time it was a struggle for me, but when it was a struggle for me, instead of beating a beating myself up for it feeling so hard or asking myself, what the fuck is wrong with me? (laughs) I would just pick up the phone to a trusted person, not a random person, the person who has proven to me that they can witness and hold space to what I'm experiencing and just had a cry. You know, I called Colleen Fury from the grocery store more than once. (laughs) Um, just saying colleen your voice has been a comfort to me since second grade right and i love you and i just i'm all a little twisted with all of this right now can we just can we just talk because again one of those voices from the past that is comforting um sometimes that's all you can do
0: right right and you know and it's funny it's it's those things um you know not only do they enable you to deal with them yourself or understand that that's something you need to deal with, but they enable you to help other people too.
1: And for me, that's the whole point for me, the morning, my father died and I was sitting there with him in my childhood home. Um, and he's on the floor and he's, he's, he's out of his body. He's no longer here. Um, I consciously allowed myself to feel that instead of avoiding it. Because I wanted to be able to help another human being in this space. Right. I wanted to be able to connect to this enough and not avoid it. Yep. So that then I can become a person on the planet that is able to sit with someone in that level of grief. Right. And that's, you know, that's one of those things that I think um, we could all work on a little more is being able to witness each other instead of judging instead right. of wondering, why is this person thinking or feeling or seeing things this way? Right. Just sit with them wherever they are right. and and desire that for yourself as well.
0: Right, right. And it's funny, we, I, I find myself, we're, we, t- we spend a lot of time talking about your dad, uh, probably because I know him better than the rest of your family, but your family is spectacular, your mom is great. Uh, what kind of impact has your mom had on all of this?
1: That's a beautiful question. My mother um, is such an unbelievable mother because she just loves. She just holds space for all of us. I can call her complaining about something with my sister, and my mother can hold space for the sister that I'm complaining about, Right. and at the exact same time hold space for me. (laughs) And so it's funny because I often describe my parents as my father being this incredibly depthful soul on the planet. Yeah. And yet my mother wanted to, you know, have a cup of coffee, go get a new blouse at Talbot's. <laughs> and, um, you know, she was she was on the, my mother is an on-the-surface person, meaning she's comfortable with the surface. Right. But there is such a wave of love that comes through her right. that it doesn't matter what she's talking about. Right. So I can be in Talbot's shopping for, something for her and the presence of love is still so there right that that is what has helped me stay on the surface with things right is that my mother has not given me a whole lot of deep philosophical ideas right on how to live my life right but her steady flow of love um Aids me every single day. It is something that I depend on. It is something that um, she alludes to my, you know, that exudes out of her to my children. To, she has thirteen grandchildren. That all my my daughter was leaving for school a couple of weeks ago and said, "I want to get a tattoo." <laughs> took a deep breath. I said, "Okay, what's the tattoo going to be?" And she says, "I want to get Nana's handwriting somewhere on my bo- on my body." <laughs> You know, my mother is is their screensaver on their phones. My mother is just such a source. And so, Lyle, back to that idea of depth. My mother is an extremely depthful soul on the planet because of her ability to just love. Right. Even though the discussions with her are not depthful. Right. She has taught me how to just even sometimes get out of the intellectual thought process. Right and all you have to do is love, just whatever right. that person is talking to you about. Right. Be a presence of love, and that's what I would say my mom is.
0: That's fantastic. But one, one more thing I wanted to ask you about was the, the COVID question, right? So what, how, is, how is that affecting what you do with artworks?
1: So it is affecting us, it, it, it's interesting. Um, one of the interesting, aspects of heartworks is someone can really be in a rough situation. So their home, they have young kids and their husband is dying of cancer. Right. One of the things that we hear consistently from pretty much every family that we help is are we deserving of this? Right. Why us? Why is there somebody else that needs this more? It is this level of humility. Yeah. That is not seen in everyday life yeah. until you come to kind of this 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 um, this place of grief that right. there people do not feel deserving of receiving from us and I say time and time again you are not using up resources this is what the resources are for mm-hmm. and it's just love it's yeah. not charity it's not a job it's just love and you can never um love is expansive when you give right. away love more love is created
0: yeah it's and not so, a zero-sum game here yeah it's not
1: a, yeah exactly and, and so i think one of the challenges during covid is people feel like there's got to be somebody else who deserves this more than me right. and there's not because we just have resources of love that are never-ending and so we can figure this out for you um, I think the way that it's a bummer that we can't all gather. HeartWorks is big about getting women together and our hugs and our, you know, the hugs are huge. That's why I
0: ask because there's so much with that physical closeness. um, Yeah. That's part of what you do. And it's that you can't really do right now.
1: Can't really do Uh, it. And the zoom meetings were great. Um, I think they helped people. I think they inspired people, but there's, it's not a replacement for one-on-one connection. Um, so I think, that has been a struggle for us. We do the whole thing. We had a meeting in August and we had the masks on and we did eye contact, like yeah. eye hugs. Right. <laughs> um, and we're really working on that idea that maybe we've become, I understand the power of a hug, because I love a good hug, sure. but I, I also think we shouldn't underestimate just energy of being together and right. sending each other love. Um, so I'd say that it's been affected with the bummer of not being able to get together. We have given up our top floor. We had a top floor in our office space that was a meditation room, um, a storage room, and then a gathering room. Um, And I didn't wanna spend that money on a second floor if we're not gonna be getting together for a couple of months. Right. We've released that. Um, and moved everything down onto the first floor, Right. Um, because I'm not gonna spend money on rent when we're not using the space. No,
0: it makes sense. you know, And
1: that's been a big change. Um, and I think if anything, it's I'm hoping that COVID wakes everybody up even more to the needs of each other. And so I think what HeartWorks has given people during COVID, whether it's through our social media posts or our Zoom meetings, is a sense of connection and a sense of being grounded in the struggle Yeah, Um, and then using that groundedness to pay attention to what's going on in the world around you and how you can be of assistance based on your own life experience. Right, fantastic.
2: So what do you look forward to?
1: In which realm? (laughs)
0: I know it's an open-ended question, but that's it. I was just thinking with all this stuff that you're working on and all these people that you interact with, uh, what are you looking forward to?
1: I look forward to people expanding and I look forward to people allowing their hearts to break in whatever personal way that's happening. And then from those broken hearts, moving around in the world in a more expansive, compassionate way. Um, I look forward to that. Personally, I look forward to hugs. I look forward to being able to, I'm a huge toucher. I just, when I'm with people and we're connecting, I'm just, I'm very physical. Yeah. Um, And so I really miss that. Um, And I'm looking forward to just being able to be more present with the things that we have in our lives that we're so blessed to have, truly.
0: Fantastic. Megan, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. So that was my friend Megan from my hometown. And yes, she's one of a surprisingly large number of people I grew up with to go on to do some pretty amazing things in their fields. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and learning a thing or two about heartworks. And I hope anyone listening out there takes it to heart and we all start to share more of that generosity of spirit, that spirit of connection with everyone around us. I feel like these days we all could use a little bit more of it. Thanks for listening. Be careful out there. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts, or we're on Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency, This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces numerous podcasts, including the truly excellent A Guest in the House, about all things hip-hop. The music on the podcast was provided by Jody Nardone and the Jody Nardone Trio, Lights Will Guide You Home album. And if you'd like to send us questions or feedback or suggestions for other subjects or guests, you can reach us through the Story Forge website. That's thestoryforge.com, all words separated by hyphens. Or you can email us at cheers at nimblesmith.com, spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H. Thanks very much.